Kathy Caton is the founder and managing director of Brighton Gin, which has been acknowledged in numerous UK and international industry and consumer awards. Kathy's on a mission to take the spirit of Brighton to the world. She's a Brighton obsessive with a passion for good food, booze, arts, culture and community. When she's not making gin, she's busy broadcasting a weekly arts, community and culture show on BBC Radio Sussex and BBC Radio Surrey. And she also produces and presents the drinks focused podcast, The Sipping Forecast. In 2020, Kathy was named in the UK's Visible Lesbian 100 list within the business category. Kathy, thank you for joining me on today's episode of Thrive Together. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Oh, I'm super excited to be asked. Thank you. It's an honour. So tell me about Brighton Gin. You launched in 2014. What inspired you to start your own brand of gin? Yeah, so I'm kind of coming up really terrifyingly for the um, 10th anniversary of properly working with Focus on Brighton Gin, which is kind of terrifying. There's something about going into double digits that has has really freaked me out. And the light bulb moment for Brighton Gin, and it really was a light bulb moment, was that I was going for a run along the seafront, having had a a very good and very late night the night before, uh, dancing around a friend's kitchen table, drinking gins. And as I was running down the seafront, I had this proper moment of going, crikey, if I'd been drinking anything other than gin I wouldn't have been off my sofa let alone out and going for a run and it just kind of hit me like right gin is the one thing that lets me get away with it Brighton is a place that needs to get away with it on a frequent basis boom that's it I want to make Brighton gin you know and you know that there are always 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 bubbles in in ideas I turned around straight away from my run and trotted home I was going to get on the internet and do some research and I'd already decided by the time I got back to my flat that if somebody else was already trying to make a Brighton gin then fine I'd take my hat off to them and drink it when the time came but it turned out that not only was no one trying to make a, a Brighton gin but also that there'd never even been a distillery in Brighton or or Hove and so it's like great I'm going to crack on I'm going to make Brighton gin how hard can it be never ever ask that question you just invite the fates when you ask that question and um, you've been running then Brighton Gin for almost 10 years. What do you think have been the main success factors that have really driven your business growth? Yeah, that's such a good question, because I think 18 months ago, I would have probably given you a different answer to the one that I'm going to give now. At the moment, given that we're, we're in, I'm hoping we're sort of kind of post-transitional, post-COVID times. And sometimes actually the very act of having survived the last 18, actually now 20 months, is now how I see success in lots of ways. The fact that the company is still here, that we still have our team, that we're still making and producing Brighton Gin to the very, very highest standards. And also that we've been able to even add on new export markets and stuff like that, because it has been unbelievably tough. I I'm so grateful to every single person who's ordered our gin or hand sanitizer or anything from us directly from our website, because that has been the lifeline that has kept us going. Because actually 90 to 95% of our customers closed when hospitality shut. That shut not only all the bars and restaurants, but all of the wholesalers who supply them, who are our main customers. And it was a terrifying, terrifying moment. So just to have survived now is like, feels like success. It feels like quite a wearing success. I can see myself reflected. I can see the eye bags and the grey hairs. I know it has not been (laughs) without cost. But I think, you know, there are other things as well. I think there have been definite moments along. And I know that it can be a bit of a cliche to talk about a journey, but it's been such a journey with Brighton Jane. It has been peppered with the highest highs 
the lowest lows and all sorts of everything in between. But I think some of the things that really stand out are it's really exciting every time we get a new export market, because I can remember conversations with people right back before I'd even made a bottle of Brighton gin and people going, oh, Brighton gin, that's never going to sell. No one's ever going to want to buy that outside of Brighton. No one's ever going to want to buy that in another country. And it gives me a tiny glimmer of excitement that actually that's that hasn't been the case and that we've made this great product that is increasingly available around the world. That's an amazing thing. I heard you would say that you wanted to get Brighton gin into every place called Brighton around the world. And I was doing some research the other day in preparation for this, and I found there's 48, I think, 48 towns or cities called Brighton worldwide. So is that still one of your goals? It's still one of my goals. Whether I actually achieve it during my lifetime or not is another is another question. It might have to be the next generation of whoever takes Brighton gin forward after I've fallen off my, my twig. But, you know, we, we're crossing a few off. We're now available in Australia. That's actually one of the amazing things that's happened over COVID times is that we found and developed a relationship with a distributor who I've never met in person. We've only ever spoken over Zoom and Brighton Gin is now available in Australia where there's New Brighton in New South Wales and there's Brighton Beach in Melbourne and you can get Brighton Gin in those places. The one in Bolivia, I'm really, really keen on bagging, but I think I'm hoping that New Zealand will be next on that list. In talking about all these Brightons um, in the world, <laughs> there's also a lot of independent gin labels, not only in the UK, but abroad. So I was trying to find out just how many. So I know, like, um, thanks to the gin boom or the ginaissance, which is a new word I learned the other day, <laughs> the number of UK distilleries has doubled in the last five years or so to something like 560. And I found the Inspiration World Gin Map. I don't know if you've seen that. And there it was saying there was 1,722 different brands of gin in the world. So it's an independent gin label. How do you maintain your competitive edge? It's such a good question. And it's kind of the Gordian knot as well. So my, and I know already that my numbers are out of are out of date in terms of worldwide brands, but there are actually more than 5,000 brands of gin available. There are, I think, 2,000 or so within the UK itself. And an awful lot of those have got a regional or, or geographical identification. So it's an absolutely burgeoning thing. Actually, I love the fact that the number of distilleries and genuine craft producers have doubled. I'm really proud that we've been, without being too wanky about it, we've been a leader for Sussex and the South Coast and that others have come after us who we've really tried to help and support and actually be friendly with. I think one of the things, though, is that out of these many, many thousands of brands, many of them are not what they say they are. So they're not made in the place that they say that they say they are. They don't necessarily have that authenticity. It's actually very easy to go about creating a, a brand. There's some amazing contract distillers. There's one very famous one based in London. I think they make about 800 different brands. You can pay them a thousand pounds to create a recipe and develop the brand and they'll do that. And they've, you know, they've been distillers for hundreds of years. They're really, really good at doing that. And I don't think there's any shame with that at all. What I think is a bit shonky is when people aren't honest about that. And there's an awful lot of, oh, we just in the garden shed and we created this magical elixir and it's like if that's true that's great but if it's been created by the marketing department that's bad i think this is all a long-winded way of saying i hope that authenticity of what we're doing will carry us through the fact also that since day one we've had a very firm thing about 
if there's one way of doing things or a better way, we're always going to take the option of the better way, even though it's hardly ever easier. It's definitely never any cheaper, but that doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do. And I think as consumers and people who who drink gin, whose knowledge is absolutely just extraordinary now, that's changed so much, particularly over the last few years. People really know their stuff. So I was just at a gin festival all weekend, which is why I've got my best 0898 voice on at the moment, because I've spoken to 2,000 people in quite a loud environment. And what I loved was the number of people who came up to us and their opening gambits were, I've never heard of Brighton Gin. So tell me, are you actually made in Brighton? Tell me about your still, tell me about your botanicals. And it's great to be able to go. I'm so glad you've asked that question. Yes, we are. We're a friends and family team. We are what we say we are. Now let me take you through the provenance of this great product. I hope that that will see us good. As an observer and as a drinker of Brighton Gin, in my eyes, you're a brand that genuinely stays true to your values. Could you just tell us a bit more about what the the values are of Brighton Gin? So you've mentioned you being a family and friends brand, but it would be great if you could just share a bit more about what your actual values are and how you bring those to life in everything you do. One of the things that I'm trying to be much more on the front foot about is to go, actually, we're trying to operate a company, I am trying to drive a company that operates to a triple bottom line, one that's about people and planets, as well as hopefully at some stage, maybe a profit as well. But within that, our community is really, really important to us. We're rooted in the glorious city of Brighton and Hove, and we're part of the community ourselves. And we want to give back to that. I think that whole kind of circular economy thing, actually, I think is a really positive development. So, for example, we have our community spirit side of Brighton Gin, which is where we make sure that a certain proportion of the bottles that are made go to support various fundraising and good causes and as many different community organisations as as possible. It would probably be more useful to them if I were able to write them a cheque and they could just go and spend it on stuff rather than needing to, you know, run a raffle or, or things like that. But I'm not yet in a position to do that, but we can support with gin and with our time everyone volunteers we go and and do a ton of stuff and certainly over the last 18 months we've been making hand sanitizer that's been not for profit it's been not for profit since day one which was definitely the right decision personally and professionally and I think this thing about saying you know our mission I finally taped it down is about you know I want to take the, the spirit of Brighton to the world and grow and scale it, but in an ethical and sustainable way. And I think that sustainability is not only ecologically, but that's a very, very key bit of our business. We're aiming hard to be a carbon negative business and be able to take more carbon out of the atmosphere than we put in. But also it needs to be sustainable in terms of our people and our team and looking after our gang in that because they're the ones who've driven it forward and put their shoulder to the wheel and all in a distillery with no natural light or any heating. It's interesting to hear that you innovated during the pandemic through the introduction of your hand sanitizer. I'm really interested as a topic in small business innovation. Um, So can you tell me a bit more about what else you've innovated in terms of products? Um, mm. within your business. So now yeah. uh, you've you've innovated the Navy Strength Gin. Can you just tell me a bit about what the process of innovation looks like for you within Brighton Gin? 
Absolutely. Quite often that the process of innovation looks like me being really, really frustrated and slightly stamping my feet a bit because I strongly maintain that actually that ideas are the easy bit. It's the executing them and delivering them that's really hard. So I have got a huge long list of things that I want to make that I've made little samples of and stuff, but which can't possibly be brought into production. And that's really frustrating. But that's probably the biggest downside of being this bootstrap business is not being able to go, hey, I want to make blue absinthe. Okay, great. Let's just go and pop into the lab and do it. And here it is at the end of the day. It's really difficult. But in addition to the seaside strength, which is our Navy strength gin, we spent quite a lot of time developing that because also one of the things that I've really tried to do is to ensure that we're never going to release anything with the Brighton name on it unless it's really blooming good. It's got to be great. And not only has it got to be great, but it has to be great and we have to be able to repeat it. And repeatability is a real, real challenge as well. But, you know, aside from the hand sanitizer, I think one of the things we finally found the time to do during the enforced handbreak of COVID was we worked on a range of uh, ready-to-drink products. They're in cans. We originally released them in bottles. Last year, we released our raspberry crush made with English raspberries, Sicilian lemons, pavilion strength gin and some sparkling water. It is right girt lush. But then we decided to move them out of the bottles for ecological reasons, actually. A can is endlessly recyclable. A fun fact is that 70% of all aluminium that's ever been use is still in use it's just you can just recycle it again and again so yes we've, we've finally got around to to making and releasing our rtds but they're also something that actually we'd made the liquids for them two years ago but then never been able to actually get around to the knuckling down to all the other stuff how you put something in a can and how you carbonate it and what needs to go on the label and what has to be at what size font all of that kind of stuff. But we've done it. And they're really lovely drinks. So there's a, a Brighton gin with a blood orange tonic with a little bit of sage. There's the raspberry crush that I mentioned. And then also there's a lemon verbena garden collins with cucumber and a bit of rosemary in it. And one of the reasons we wanted to do them is not just that you can have your Brighton gin on the, on the move, but also we were looking at what are the safe serves for people to be able to have a social experience with people but not actually get that close to them and then also looking at when venues reopen bar staff really not wanting to be handling bottles multiple times what can you do to make it easy for people so yeah I make gin in a tin it's delicious (laughs) it's interesting (laughs) as well to hear just how you've considered so you've considering things from not only what do your customers want but also the people that will be handling your drinks in the pubs and, and bars it's, it's really interesting to have considered what they need um yeah and, and i mean i suppose we'll we'll all find out about how much of that stays and what changes and what the next swoop on the roller coaster is going to be on on that front but i think we're probably more in love with the picnic or the barbecue than ever before and socializing outside and, and on the beach as well and we also want to make something you can just take to the beach with a gang of mates and have a delicious drink that also isn't going to cause a problem for the wildlife on the beach or in the sea. With a lot of the people that I support through Thrive, many people suffer from moments of self-doubt. So you've been in business now for 10 years, building the Brighton Gin brand. You've had this rollercoaster variety, you said, with some absolute highs and then some, some lows. You seem like a really outwardly confident person, but have you had any moments of self-doubt along your journey 
And if so, how have you overcome those? So one of the things I've definitely found out is that absolutely everybody has either imposter syndrome or the little voice in the back of the brain. Everybody does. And that's a wonderful revelation to everyone from a blustery MP who you see on the telly to a you know leader of a FTSE 100 business. Everybody has got the voice in the back. And I had in my previous kind of radio making life, I had some great advice from somebody who uh, acted to me as a as mentor when I was working at Radio 4. And she basically just said to me, you need to, first of all, acknowledge that that thing is there. And then you just shut it in a cupboard and you ignore it, force yourself to ignore it. And you can come back to it later on. You know, we are the things we say we are. And that actually, if you propel yourself out there, you can be full of angst afterwards, but do the thing. I do think that that self-critical voice is much more prominent in women, or is it just that we listen to it more? Is it that society tells us that we should listen to it more and that we should hold ourselves back? But again, looking back at my radio life, and I was involved in setting up Sound Women, which was about trying to help women progress in the audio industry and looking at why is it that women weren't getting any of the top flight jobs, the commissioner's jobs, the editor's jobs. And we commissioned a piece of research and it showed basically that women just didn't put themselves forward for the jobs because they, we tend to look at a list and it's like, okay, these are all the things they say I have to have. Have I got all of those? Oh, I'm missing ones. I'm not going to apply. Whereas the research showed that men would look at that list, go, actually, I really want to do this job. What am I going to lose for applying to it? So they were chucking their hat in the ring. Women weren't. They weren't on the list to choose from. So I think one can make a conscious decision to force oneself to do really uncomfortable things. And then gradually they become less uncomfortable. And you have the beauty of working in a team. So a lot of the people I support are often solopreneurs. They're women working on their own. And I think maybe that self-critical voice, <laughs> which you do so well, that can be, I suppose, stronger when you're on your own. Whereas if you're in a team or leading a team like yourself, then presumably you've got that support network within your own unit. So yeah, I think one thing that I have that I probably will have issues with until I fall off my perch is the terrible should thing it's like oh god I should be doing this like I should be doing more hours I should be doing yet another thing another thing and one of the things I find very hard to accept is that actually it is not possible physically or mentally to do all of the things but it doesn't stop the desire to want to do them and also the feeling of oh but we could be going faster we could be doing this that and the other but none of those things are worth doing if one ends up in a terrible mental or physical state. And also, it's just not possible. And I'm it's actually out with a great feeling trying to convince myself because I know that it's the thing that I can struggle with and that thing of, of comparing like with not like. So, you know, I can see a crafting company. So I'm like, oh my God, they're everywhere and they're doing all these trips and the thing and the thing. It's like, because they've got a huge investment vehicle behind them or they're owned by a Perno Ricard or something like that. It's not always what it appears like on the surface. Yeah, I think it's really good insight that we shouldn't be comparing each other's journeys. So we're all starting at different points. It's really hard not to. We've all got different definitions of success as well, particularly in the small business or the startup world. You see a lot of businesses are wanting to scale, scale, grow, grow, but that's not necessarily 
what everyone wants within their business. Some are happy to stay as a solopreneur or to stay small and just stay true and authentic to your values. You're absolutely right that the dominant thing at the moment is absolutely about growth and scale and moving fast and going hard and fast with things. And I think like probably all dominant thoughts, it's worth having a check on that and going, actually, is this really what I want to do? And that thing of, you know, someone doing this by themselves. So actually, does that bring you joy? It might make the boat go faster, but does it just make you feel sick at the thought of doing it? Does it make you sick at doing it as well? I think, you know, there's that terrible statistic, which you probably know more than me, that the second notice cause of startup company failure after cash flow is burnout. And I can totally see why, because I think by nature, we flog ourselves to, to within an inch of our lives trying to do stuff. Definitely. On the topic of burnout, actually, what do you do to really switch off because you're the MD of Brighton Gin, you're the founder, you've got a team to support and lead, um, you're also a broadcaster, you're a podcast producer, you've got all these things happening on the go. How do you switch off from everything? It must be a bloody nightmare to live, live with or be friends with, definitely. I find it extremely hard to relax. I find it almost impossible to sit down and do nothing. It makes me very anxious. One of the unlooked for advantages, I suppose, of COVID and, and lockdowns that actually that forced me to be still and to be in a single place at a time. And also really think actually about the survival of the business and what do I want? I'm always planning for, well, in five years, between this and 10 years, but actually life is happening now. And I think we need to appreciate those things. I do love a cookathon to the archers. So I think that's just me <laughs> cooking along or singing along to Keris Matthews. But yes, kind of a Sunday morning of back-to-back Radio 4 and 6 music listening with some cooking going on. It's not for everyone. Oh, no, that's excellent. So just to really finalise, what I wanted to touch on was you said before the beginning, you said, oh, it's a bit of a cliche, but you've been through this journey as everyone does when they're starting and growing and building a business. If you look back to your 10 year younger self, what advice would you give her knowing what you know now? Contradictory advice, I think. Don't trust everyone. I definitely take everyone at face value. And I think it's part of the thing about always galloping on to the next thing rather than spending considered time in the moment. There's probably a pattern emerging there. And not everyone who says that they have your best interests at heart actually do, which is a really sad thing to realise. I probably would tell myself to sit down, write a business plan with some numbers in it. You can't do it all just on energy and enthusiasm because this is how you get eye bags, like the ones that I currently sport. They're not going anywhere. I've done this to myself. This is my face now. So I think that thing of probably at the beginning, really trying to look at resourcing things properly and going, actually, this is a really, really good idea and I can make it work and I can bring the resources in to do it. But also then I'm going to contradict myself by saying that thing of actually talking to lots of people and testing your idea and what you're going to do and building your networks all the time. It's something that I think they've done. I just love talking to people. But I think there's that thing of not necessarily trusting everyone. Sad lesson to learn, though. But it's an honest one, isn't it? And it's your own lived experience. So um, I don't think it's contradictory all this advice so thank you Kathy thank you and we're going to finish off now with some rapid fire questions so try not to think too much okay um, I'll try and be just, rapid. 
blurt them out. <laughs> so we're going to start off with something gin related, obviously. So what's your favourite way to drink Brighton gin? Now it's sipped neat, maybe over a couple of cubes of ice or in a Negroni. And what's your favourite quote or mantra? It doesn't have to be a famous one, but what do you say to yourself, which you then follow in your work and in your approach? So my friend Susie is a mountain climber, which is a pretty cool thing to do as a job. She's got a mountain named after her in Afghanistan and the whole thing. And whenever anyone asks her, oh God, how do you go about that? How do you climb a mountain? And she says, you put one foot in front of the other and then you do it again and again and again. And I think that's a really good adage to live by. It's just bloody keep going. I was going to ask you actually, um, who's an inspirational or influential role model for you in your life? So she, she sounds great. <laughs> but have you got anyone else who inspires you? Well, I'm going to do that terrible, cliched Oscar winner thing and say, actually, my mum, because my mum is our production manager. She's 78. She's on her feet all day, bottling gin, lugging gin around, talking to her friends about it, being proud of it cheering the team along and I think what a great way to be and to live so probably Mima. Wow that was fantastic and last question what would you like to be your legacy so how would you like to be remembered? I hope actually that Brighton Gin and Brighton Spirits Company carries on long after I don't actually that's something that I'd really like to see happen. I think you're full of energy I think you really stay true to your values and um, I think you must be a really exciting person to work with. So I think the team are so fortunate to have you as their leader. I can hear them muttering <laughs> while you say that. I think the brand itself is really exciting. I know you're in a really crowded market, but you seem to have been able to have like found your competitive edge. And like we were saying before, not only innovate, but innovate in a meaningful way and really stay true to your values. So um, thanks for all the lessons in entrepreneurship that you've shared with us today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And oh, you have thank, you, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a real privilege to, to be asked. And I think probably that thing about going back, you know, you were asking about the what advice would you give your, give your young self? It's like, what advice do I give my younger self probably from the age of 12 onwards is just, is like, have the courage of your convictions and be brave and strong and just go for it with these things. Hey, such good advice. Thank you, Cathy. So tell people listening how they can find out about Brighton Gin. You can find our website at brightongin.com. If you sign up for our email newsletter, you'll get 15% off your first order as well, which is a treat in these cash-strapped times. You can also find us on social media, Brighton Gin on Twitter. We're Brighton Gin Instagram on, unsurprisingly, uh, Instagram and Brighton Gin on Facebook as well. Thank you for your time. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Always love engaging with you and um, good luck with what's, uh, what comes next for Brighton Gin. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, and thank you to everyone who is helping us take the spirit of Brighton to the world. Anyone who's bought anything, particularly over the last 18 months, I really, really appreciate it because we're still here. We live to fight another day and on we go, one step at a time. Really enjoyed talking to Kathy Caton of Brighton Gin and learning from her 10 year journey growing her business. It's encouraging to hear how, despite the pandemic, she's managed to grow her business and expand to new markets overseas. I also really admire her approach to consider people, planet and profit, and how she's constantly focused on how to grow the business in a sustainable way, which is not only kind on the planet, but also kind on the people in her team. Her practical advice for startups really resonated with me, that aspiring entrepreneurs should sit down, put together some kind of a business plan and work on their numbers. 
I also agree with Kathy when she says coming up with ideas is the easy bit, executing those ideas is the hard bit. I hope you found the episode as motivating as I did. Kathy's final advice to be brave and have the courage of your convictions is a fantastic call to action for all of us. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to this podcast series so that we can continue to thrive together. Thank you.